Hi, everybody, and happy Friday on this special edition of the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. Excited, as always, to have Jennifer Bernelli on with me this afternoon. We are going to be talking about fueling for championship performance, thinking about your nutritional needs as you go into your three- or four-day meet, whether it's your LSC championships, whether it's your high school state championships, whether it's a tier pro series that we have coming up, whether it's a sectional meet for USA Swimming or Open Water Nationals, all of those competitions coming up in the next two and a half months, Jennifer. I know you're excited about this time of year. I'm sure from an athlete standpoint, you miss it. But now as a swim mom, you're going to get back into it with your kids swimming at Swim Mac Carolina. Talk to us a little bit about some simple things that we can think about first and foremost as we get our children and our athletes ready for the champ season. Yeah, it's a great question. And thanks for having me on again, Mike. You know, it's it's very trial and error for most people, especially because there's not a lot of information out there about how you really truly should be changing from your training season to your competition season. So we can, even if we were educated, we still have to implement. And what I saw when I was at my own kids meet this weekend was either running around with Skittles. <laughs> so we have that side of the spectrum, right? But the other side is the understanding that they need food, but either not having it or feeling so nervous about what to do that nothing is better than, than the fear factor of my stomach hurting. So your number one component here is to have a plan. And you really do wanna think about race day fueling way, way before you get to the meet. <laughs> it is something that we practice in practice settings. It should not be something that if you train longer than 60 minutes in a practice setting, you should be getting some carbohydrates in. And if that's the case, that's where the goos choose gels, honey stingers, Gatorade, all the things come in, right? It should not be that you've never touched any of that. So the, the, the muscle that is your stomach has never been trained. So hopefully we have some of our athletes that have really experienced that in a practice setting. But then when I get, you know, so I try to promote that for my own, to your point, and you have to provide it for them. They need to understand that they have access to it um, in order to actually apply it. So when you're talking about these multi-day meets though, let's be real. Let's let, we can talk about, you know, my seven and nine-year-old all day long, but real life for, for major impact, when you're at prelims finals three or four days, this is a learning curve. Most swimmers get to day three, not even day four, easily get to day three, and they are nowhere near capable of what they were on day one. And it is because of a lack of fueling throughout that. So I'll give you my personal story. My personal story as a swimmer is that I used to do what we all did. I had a real small breakfast. I went and I did prelims and then I was starving at lunch and I crushed it at McAllister's or Panera or something like that, right? And then I went, I took a nap and I woke up and I wasn't all that hungry. So maybe I had a banana and a bar. And then I went to finals. And then at Olive Garden that night, it was getting down. <laughs> so what we have to understand about that is think about energy in, energy out. Very minimal in the morning with a high energy expenditure. Because prelims, 
whether you like it or not, add up your yardage. It's a 1500 warm up, hopefully. It is a little bit more warm up and warm down from every single event on top of the events. So while you may have tapered and your need the last week going into the meet for food probably decreased the volume, the day before or two days before your meet, your volume should go back up in preparation for your yardage is about to go up and clearly the intensity is about to go up, right? So what I learned the hard way, like most of us did back in the day, um, is I wasn't eating anywhere near enough and I certainly wasn't eating how much I needed at the right time. So what you wanna think about is easily digestible food. What you heard me just say is something you're not gonna feel. I can teach an athlete how to eat on race day, but if they feel it and they feel bad, it is going to be unsuccessful um, because they're never going to do it again. And that distracted them mentally from what it was that they were working on and that they've trained for. So in a perfect world, you are going to wake up for your meat and you are going to have basic foods. I want athletes thinking Cheerios and I want them thinking breads and bagels and things like that in the carb space that are really easy on their stomach. This is not the time for me to be like, maybe I can eat that healthy whole grain bread and like a lot of oatmeal that I've never eaten before. Things that have something in it called fiber that are going to slowly empty from their stomach. Those are not usually athletes friends first thing in the morning. If you've ever had that, that athlete that says like, oh, I feel really bad at eat after I eat that, typically there's one of two things going on. One, they haven't trained the stomach or two, there's too much protein, fat, or fiber going into that meal because those are the three things, protein, fat, and fiber. Those three things empty from the stomach more slowly. So if that's the case, that food is sticking around longer. Well, guess what? We need the food right now. So why would I be loading up on avocado toast with a bunch of sausage on the side? That doesn't, you know what I mean? That doesn't quite allow for your stomach to empty and that fuel to be usable. Does that make sense, Mike? That's really good information. And as you say that, I'm thinking, boy, I got to start talking to my swimmers about training the way that they eat now, training your stomach, as you mentioned, so that they're getting the most bang for their buck out of the meals that they have before prelims. Yeah, it's it's one of those things we tend to just, you know, especially the swimmers that are doing doubles that are awake in the morning in order to practice this. I always felt bad. I always feel bad for them now. Not that we didn't all do it, but I look at these sweet, sweet babies now that are like in this 15 to 18 space and they're doing this and I'm like, goodness gracious, you have to eat before you come here. I know it's a mad dash to get to school and you're thinking about making sure you didn't forget everything for school. And, and it is difficult. And it is a little bit of a job to get into a routine for that. Um, I never want to candy coat that, if you will, around athletes that I work with, because otherwise it makes them think like, why is this not so easy for me, but it's easy for everybody else. It's not easy for anybody. Um, it is a commitment to fuel for performance. So to your point, definitely something that needs to be going on in doubles and in morning sessions in order to train your stomach to be ready for that. So we do want to see when they get to the meat, them doing those really easy carbohydrates that are going to provide fast fuel without upsetting their stomach, even if they have trained for it. And yes, 
to the protein source. But if you remember what I said, protein, fat, and fiber slowly empty from the stomach. You need to get protein. We talked about it the last time. If you don't get it, you don't store it. So you don't have it for later if you don't eat it. So they have to eat it at breakfast. So what we need to start to think about there is, okay, well, what protein sources am I using? Because if they are very high in fat, then that's probably not the right source. Most athletes do pretty well with some eggs, which yeah, are gonna have some fat in it. Um, most will do pretty great with some Greek yogurt or milk in their cereal. That certainly is a time you can do a glass of milk or add a protein shake into something. Um, some turkey or chicken sausages usually are okay. It is not the time for the bacon, for the pork sausage. Um, you know, not that, you know, a lot of times I, you know, like avocado toast, like these trends that come through, right? Even if you did a Dave's killer bread, a higher protein bread that a lot of athletes like to use. If you did avocado toast and you use the protein as the bread, that avocado is probably not helping you. <laughs> So that's why I say to athletes, you really do want to have a plan. Know what hotel you're going to stay in and what they offer for breakfast. If you call, they're going to tell you. <laughs> and I know a lot of athletes I've worked with have said to me, wow, that's like a commitment. Like, you want me to call the hotel? I'm like, yep, and we're going to do it together. <laughs> because if you're going to stay there for four days and you're going to train for four months, why wouldn't you just make the phone call? <laughs> So I think, you know, being prepared for some of these settings that are not your normal home, that if you have a close meet, great, but you might not. Jennifer, you, you are a busy mom. You're a busy business person. You are very, very active. As am I. I have an eight and 10. You have a seven and nine. We are all over the place, right? What do you have to say to parents about planning for some meal prep as they get into the championship season? What are some things that you do? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And, and it doesn't have to be that traditional mindset of I'm going to put, you know, right chicken, rice and broccoli in a container and four days later, it's going to look gross. <laughs> you have to, I try to engage them. We try to have fun with it. Um, we will, they will help me prep some things and mine actually find that enjoyable. Some will not. Um, and, but you got to try is all I'm getting at. So we will often make pancakes on the weekend and just make an extra batch and have them in a Ziploc bag in the fridge. And then scrambling some eggs is no big deal. We will do the, but I'm not pulling out the pancake batter, right? So that's why I say like, you can scramble the eggs in the morning, but I'm not making pancakes. Um, we will do like the overnight oats containers so that you can, they can have fun with that. Like one of mine doesn't like nuts and seeds as much. The other one does and loads it up. Um, um, you know, those are easy things to engage, especially the young ones, but even that 13 to 18 crowd, let's be real. They're going to go be on their own soon. They need to know how to do these basic things. Yes. They might have access to fueling stations and, you know, lunch line type, you know what I mean? And, and dining halls. They need to know how to do this because the dining halls are not open at five o'clock in the morning before practice. <laughs> so I think things like overnight oats, things like pre-making pancakes and waffles, doing the Kodiak cake version type things of those where there's proteins added in already. Um, I think there is also that misconception of healthy, right? I'm doing air quotes on purpose. It has to be healthy food. Um, my, my example there is when I go to Costco for NASCAR and I buy out Uncrustables for these NASCAR 
athletes and the people that work at Costco are like, they're healthy. And I'm like, well, they are for my athletes who are on the road for 48 to 72 weeks, you know, hours out of the week for 35 weeks. They need something. So I say that because often we will tend to look at things that we don't make 100% from scratch or that is a processed food. Like, do we want to manage the amount of processed food? Sure. But if it is unrealistic for you to live without a chicken sausage, a turkey sausage, I know it is in my house. We're doing chicken sausages and turkey sausages. Like we are, I'm, you know, that's just the reality. Kodiak cakes and things like that that have the protein added into them. If you can make everything yourself, more power to you. But for those parents out there that are just like we are referencing in ourselves, running a hundred miles an hour to get to multiple sports, do our jobs, all the things, you have to take some of those shortcuts. Um, and it is okay. You are going to be okay. You are not hurting your kids. Them getting something is better than them getting nothing. So whether or not your protein source is the Greek yogurts, the protein breads, the protein pancakes, you scrambling some eggs, adding protein, we will add protein powder into some of our overnight oats to drive that up a little bit. Um, there are just so many different ways to get access to these different foods um, that as long as they're coming, that's the priority. Absolutely. And, and so many good nuggets in there and understanding the value in the language of nutrition. And what I heard you say was, listen, it's okay to get that processed food every once in a while. All we hear in the literature that we read as parents, coaches, athletes is, you know, we want organics. We want it. We want to make it ourselves. Uh, we want to find all the nutrition in foods that are uh, completely natural. But what I hear you saying is, listen, you've got to get some uh, carbs into your body. You got to get some fats and sugars into your body. It's okay to have that processed snack. Yeah, I'm a realist in this, to be honest, Mike. And and there will be people that will listen to this that will feel differently, and that's okay. Um, if you have the time and the resources to have a bread machine and make your loaf of bread, please move closer to me because I will buy it from you. <laughs> but the reality for most families with extremely active athletes is it is unrealistic for us to not incorporate any of that, right? For the Panthers, I used to roll out hand, oh my gosh, I still can't believe I did this. Used to roll out handmade protein balls for pre-practice. Um, it was a way for me to support them. It was a way for me to get buy-in from them. It was a way to manage some of the processed foods, right? Um, there are ways to manage it. And I think, parents and coaches and athletes need to be realistic and be educated and not feel made to feel guilty for some things that are actually helping them more than they're doing nothing would be hurting them. Um, I mean, you know, and I'll give you an example of that, right? So I mentioned hand rolling out protein balls. It's a very similar concept to a Cliff Builders bar or a kind protein bar, you know, you add the nuts and seeds, the ground flaxseed, the honey, all the things, right? Um, but that's where your mixture comes in. You know, we also do hummus cups and guacamole cups and, you know, where they are more of the whole food based components um, than just a straight up bar in a package. 
mine will often come home and say, can I have a bar? I said, did you have one today already? If the answer is yes, well then let's look for something else. I can make you a turkey and cheese sandwich really fast. I can make you a PB and J. I can make you a banana with some peanut butter on it. it it's a balance. It's sure. not all or nothing. And don't let somebody, I guess my kind of end all without going down a huge rabbit hole is if you can financially utilize organic foods and prep all of those things, is it advantageous for a variety of different reasons? Yes. Will it hurt you to not do that? Probably not. <laughs> From a nutritional standpoint, when we really look at the volume of nutrients in these organic versus non-organic, does not appear to be really creating a difference physically for us. Gotcha. All right. So here we are, Jennifer, we're going to put our swim mom and dad hats on for a minute. And my child has gone four events. He's 15 to 18 year old age group. And here we are on day three and I can see some lethargy coming in. What yeah. am I packing for that snack between prelims and finals? Yeah. I'm going to hit you with some timing as part of this conversation. So if we walk through an athlete that's doing prelims and finals, they should be having breakfast at least an hour before they hit the water for warm-up, right? So that should happen. Your next step in this, though, is acknowledging, and all my athletes always get a kick out of this statement, acknowledging that most other athletes in other sports could not do our warm-up. And here we are, we go do our warm-up, and then we're like, sweet, I'm ready to rock. And it's been two and a half hours since you've had breakfast and potentially another hour before I even race again. So I joke about that and I say that, but in a way I'm not joking. The volume out in warm-up, we ignore it and it's not nothing. And we all know, whether you're a parent, a coach, or an athlete, your heart rate and your excitement going into that meet, your heart rate's up because your excitement's up. So you're expending more just in this anticipation, not you know, on top of warm-up. So I tell most athletes this next. If you have less than 30 minutes from when your warm-up ends to your first event, sip on some fluids, some Gatorade, some water, some Powerade, some of those kind of things, right? Get a little bit of carbohydrate, a little bit of energy, just because you did just probably do somewhere between a grand and 1500. So put a little in, but yeah, liquefy it because you don't want to feel that when you're racing. You should not notice it or think that it, even notice that it happened. If you have more like 30 to 60-ish minutes, I usually will tell athletes like have a couple bites of a bar and sip on some Gatorade. Because again, you have more time to digest. You're not eating the whole Cliff Builders bar, right? But you might have like a honey stinger, a half a banana, you know, an orange, you know, with a little bit of Gatorade, something like that. If you have more than an hour before you're going to go again, you should have, especially if it's longer than 90 minutes, because you and I both know some of these sessions, especially as the kids get older, you tend to have bigger gaps. You do less events. So if that's the case, then that's where I tell them, you need to start looking at that like a more significant snack. Maybe it's a quarter of a turkey and cheese sandwich, right? Maybe it is something like the bar and a banana. Um, there's, a, you know, that's where when you start approaching that 90 minutes and you've done warm up and it's been two hours since your last meal, 
if the last time you ate by the time you race was four hours ago, and then you're going to race again in your second or third, comp, you know, third race where you're expecting the best out of your body, that's an unrealistic expectation. So less than 30 minutes between events or from, from um, warm up to your event, liquids, Gatorade, water, 30 to 90-ish minutes, stick with like a half a bar, an orange, a banana, the basics, very simple, dried fruit, um, those honey singers I mentioned are always a success. Um, but once you get over 90 minutes, you need a little bit of protein coming in. So that's where I tell people, I'm like, look at like, how, like make a turkey and cheese sandwich and cut it into quarters. As, as silly as that sounds, the way you deliver food to an athlete changes how they eat it and how they look at it. <laughs> if I, if I cut it in a half, I'm going to look at the half and feel like I need to finish the half. They need to gauge how much they're eating. I can tell I could tell you ideal, right? But for the, for us as a community working on this together, they need to gauge how much they can tolerate based off feel at first, because having something is better than nothing, but having something that affects their ability to focus on what they're doing because they feel food on their stomach, that's a, that's a lose situation. Um, the next time, if you will, if I keep moving in your question a little bit is within an hour of finishing prelims, they need a full meal. If they cannot get to the full meal within an hour, because say we're on a bus, and we're waiting for everybody else that hasn't finished yet. They need to have a core power protein shake, a muscle, you know what I mean? They need a muscle milk, a Fairlife, you know, traditional chocolate milk with a granola bar. They need something within an hour. In a perfect world, it's that full meal at McAllister's, right? At Panera, something like that. But there's perfect and there's reality. If not, then they need to go and send them with a, a core power shake and a banana, something to tide them over until they get to that full meal. So here's the thing that took me the longest to figure out. <laughs> I had to figure out the hard way by never swimming faster in finals ever <laughs> until I was a senior in college. <laughs> I never swam faster at finals. It was infuriating. And and I figured out that there were two things that affected me around that. One was I went to McAllister's or Panera or wherever, Jimmy John's, and got my sandwich, right? What I did not think through was typically that's somewhere in that like 12 o'clock-ish range for most prelims final sessions. So then I went back and I started my finals warm-up at four and I ate a bar on my way to finals. I haven't had a full meal in four hours and I'm going to do this three or four days in a row. If I say it that way, and I try to talk this way, right? A little bit like, duh, only because we don't think of it like that. And if I say it this way, and if we think about it in a very practical sense, it makes all the sense in the world. Oh, so 100%. what I learned, whatever I ate at noon, I bought a to-go version of that. I literally said, give me two number four turkey and cheese sandwiches, right? With a side fruit cup and a little thing of um, chicken noodle soup, whatever my sides were, right? I ordered a second and I brought it back to the hotel with me. And I usually would finish, they may or may not finish the whole thing again, but at least half to three quarters of that should go down again. It is three or four hours later. 
they might not feel hungry, but they also haven't trained themselves to do that. It didn't feel great to me at first, but once I did that, I never swam slower at finals again. <laughs> so I'm like die hard about teaching swimmers that remember how long it's been since your last race. And then let's go through that again in finals. You had a bar and a banana, and then you went and did your warm up that none of your friends at school that play other sports could ever even do. They would drown. <laughs> and then, by the way, let's get up and do finals and go even faster than we went already today, four days in a row. So that's why I say, just like in that 12 o'clock window, do lunch number two. I call it lunch number two. Um, and then the same thing that they did in prelims with the less than 30 minutes liquid, 30 to 60 minutes being a little bit more snacky carbs, and then more than 90 minutes. And they can add a little bit of protein in to tide them over until they get to that next window of time that they're competing. So critical for athletes and, and parents to kind of schedule these things out and kind of have these magic numbers in their head. And I, and I know that when I go to edit this, I'm going to be writing these intervals down so that I can tell my athletes at practice tonight about how important this is. Jennifer, let's talk about the dinner after a final session. You know, for some of these meets, uh, especially the travel meets with getting back to the hotel and going out to the team yes. dinner, we're talking about getting home to our hotel rooms or in bed, 9 45, 10 o'clock. Yeah. How, how should we be eating after finals? Yeah, that's a great question because we would be totally remiss if we didn't introduce conceptually that what's on your stomach when you lay down affects your sleep and your sleep quality, right? If we eat something spicy or super, super high in fat or very heavy in volume, it tends to affect whether or not we're able to fall asleep and if we keep waking up throughout the evening. Um, so, so it's a great question. And we did have it right all along with the Olive Garden pasta style. <laughs> so we had it right all along. Our primary fuel source as swimmers is carbohydrate. So, so when we went to Olive Garden, it's not the endless bowl, right? You heard me just say, we've got to manage the volume. Um, but at the same time, we had it right all along that we really need to hone in on that carbohydrate-based food because that's the primary fuel source when we're racing. So as we use most of that multiple times a day, multiple days in, the, in a row, if we're not topping off that tank that is carbs stored in your muscle, it's actually something called glycogen. If we're not topping that off, then recovery while you're at rest and sleeping is not gonna be maximized, which means tomorrow you are less than you are capable of being. So there's no question that that carb needs to exist. This is not the time for any kind of restriction. Um, it should be a bigger portion than you typically would eat in a normal week in the middle of a month where you're doing regular training because your intensity is up so very high when you're racing. Um, there needs to 100% be a significant source of protein. Again, we usually think, I think we touched on this the last time we spoke, but we tend to think of recovery as just post-race, post-workout. Um, recovery is also extremely high while you're sleeping, um, despite the fact that because you're doing nothing. So you don't want to go to bed with not enough of that to support 
how quickly your body can recover while you're finally at rest. Um, so when I say that, you should hear me saying things like pasta with red sauce and chicken breast. You should hear me saying things like grilled chicken, or I'm sorry, a um, baked potato with a piece of salmon or some ground turkey or something like that, where we're talking about leaner proteins, but yes, yeah, some heavy, heavy carb loading going on, right? A lot of, I shouldn't say that because I know that's, that stirs a whole nother conversation. Heavier car, like a lot of carbohydrate. Um, they can handle some fat. We mentioned fat before as one of the things that slowly empties from your stomach. Um, but they do not need anything super fast because they are about to go to bed. So I don't have any problem with them doing bread with butter and like garlic bread or toast with bread with butter um, or avocado toast or whatever the fat source may be. That being said, it's truly just about managing the volume of it. Because let's talk about what you and I both know that we always used to do as swimmers, like and I brought up Olive Garden, so we might as well stay down that pathway. Chicken Alfredo pasta. I just say it, and we know how heavy that's going to sit compared to a pasta with a red sauce. It's something like that that might create some disruptions in sleep quality throughout the night because the volume of Alfredo sauce compared to 175 calories worth of half of an avocado on something or... Um, trying to think of another fat source, or like some that might be in a, like two or three meatballs or something like that, which would be a normal size, a, a, an acceptable size portion is going to be very different than the way you feel off of an Alfredo pasta. So it, you can handle more of the protein, fat, and fiber, the things that empty from your stomach a little bit more slowly at nighttime, because you don't need anything fast. You're going to be at rest. It's really true really just the fat that I would manage a little bit at night and thinking through that, because that is something that does tend to create some disruptions in sleep and some wake up while they're at rest at night. Um, so think about things like um, the, the pasta dish with chicken and broccoli, right? Or something like a baked potato where you did ground turkey with some like canned tomatoes and peas in it and like some avocado on top. You could think of something like your rice bowls that you might get somewhere like um, a chipotle or something like that where you're, but, and, and maybe that's a great example for us to use, Mike. If we're gonna do a bowl of some kind, think about what they add onto those bowls. There might be cheese, there might be avocado, there might be sour cream, there, there's multiple fat sources, right? So we had it right with the brown rice and the chicken steak, ground turkey, with adding the peppers and onions and, and the veg component to that with the salsa, fine with the cheese and avocado. But then we've got to manage, like, are we also adding um the sour cream and other fat sources on how many fat sources are there right um does that answer your question is there something that stemmed from that i can answer as well a thousand percent and i think making the the chipotle reference is key because that's everybody's favorite on my team <laughs> if i'm asking you know where where do you guys want to go it's always right there so that's good information to know and it does answer the question and we got to consider what we're putting in that stomach before we we lay down and go to bed because like you said now we're interrupting sleep cycles. We might, we might not metabolize those things as quickly as we'd like to. So 
definitely key. And, and, you know, what's exciting for me, Jennifer, is you and I are going to keep doing these series for listeners and the people who, who eat up this content every week, quite literally, uh, <laughs> pun intended, uh, as we get into the championship season. The last question I want to ask you for today is we see so many athletes and young athletes now drinking those Celsiuses, mm. grabbing the Red Bull, uh, you know, having those monster drinks. Um, you know, I, I know that a little caffeine, maybe for the 16, 17, 18 year old athlete, a little black coffee in the morning, acceptable, right? I mean, it's, sure. it's something that can, can certainly help kick, kickstart them in the morning. But uh, what do you worry about when you see a lot of these athletes using some of these different sports drinks? Yeah, what a great question. And what a relevant one for what's going on in our sport, because I would say the last five years, I've heard of a, a significant uptick in that conversation around stimulants. So let's be real that there is literal studies on swimmers, which is rare, <laughs> um, and how caffeine can positively affect explosiveness and and reaction time. So we know there is a benefit there. No question asked there. Um, the challenge to your point lies in the timing and the volume. Because if you're starting to talk about some of these drinks or these capsules um, that some swimmers I am directly told from that I work with here your body is not designed to take more than 200 milligrams in a cup of coffee or tea, or you're looking at 50 to 90 milligrams. So imagine drinking two or three cups of coffee all at once, because that has to be part of it, right? We sip coffee over time. If I put three cups of coffee in front of you and you you literally chugged them. That's what it is like sometimes to take these drinks down, which they do drink very quickly because they're sweet and they taste good and it is what it is and they're not hot. <laughs> so they can, or these capsules even worse that they can just throw down and get amped up. There is a performance benefit to caffeine, but it is dose and time dependent. So what I tell most athletes is, number one, you've got to stay below 200 milligrams. Don't even attempt to go over that, number one. But number two, you need to practice, just like the, the race day fueling, you need to practice. There's actually genetic markers that you can look at around how you respond to caffeine. There are genetic markers for that. It's kind of cool. I don't need a genetic marker for you to tell me if you drink a coffee, cup of coffee, do you feel different? <laughs> I don't need a genetic marker for that. If you drink a cup of coffee and you notice a difference, then yes, caffeine affects you. If you do that every day for six months, that same cup of coffee is going to interfere or is going to interact in your system very differently. You are not going to get the same bang for your buck, if you will, from that cup of coffee. So I tell athletes, number one, practice this first, going into a practice. A lot of times it's a sat. let's be honest, it's a Saturday morning practice. When you're going to do one of those sets, practice it. Um, I tell them, stay the heck away from those canned everything, right? Because not only is there caffeine, but there are other, that word that I used before, there are other stimulants in it. So it's not just one component of that that's potentially giving you that high, 
that caffeine might give you and that improvement in reaction time. The other thing to think about here is caffeine has a half-life, which means you feel good, 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 great, and then you don't. <laughs> so what happens if you use it at the wrong time and you're on the back half of that curve? Not only are you not helping your performance, you're potentially hurting it. Mm. So timing and dose are very important. Just like you alluded to, I tend to tell my athletes, use a little bit of espresso or a cup of coffee or these more controlled, reasonable servings. Because if you do that, number one, once you've practiced it, you know what's going to happen. And if you pull back on using that for a week or two before you go into your meet, then you know what's going to happen. And then you've trained your system to be ready for a little bit more of a bang for your buck because you haven't gotten that stimulant in a week or two. Um, so my direct answer is please stop with the Red Bulls and all the things <clears throat> and use much more under, I don't want to say understandable, but things that we know and more reasonable portions of caffeine because yes to using it. I mean, you'll find some of these pre-workouts. We this is see, I don't want to segue too far, but you'll find a lot of these pre-workouts. They're not even like a Red Bull, right? That it's just truly a stimulant drink. Um, but pre-workouts, they're adding some of these in. You will find some of the goos and chews and gels are starting to add some caffeine. These companies are catching up with there is a performance benefit. Um, but stay in that like 50 to 100 milligram at one time. Because especially for our swimmers who are doing more than one race in a session, don't max over 200 milligrams, especially if you're potentially doing two races in a session. So four in a day plus a relay, you're going to really have to manage how you use that. Jennifer, this has been outstanding 40 minutes and it's just so much value. And I think it's important too for NCAA coaches to have these conversations with their athletes as well. And I'm so looking forward to getting together on Coach's Corner again with you and talking about another nutritional topic. And hopefully we can build this out to be a series that athletes, coaches, and parents can follow along with. So how can people get connected to you if they want to reach out to you directly? Yeah, I would love that. And I'm always so, so happy to help in that individual or group environment. Um, you can go to IG or Facebook and follow at SportsRDPro. Um, and and if you wanted to reach me directly, I'm always very happy, especially in my swimming community, um, sportsrdpro at gmail.com. Um, so it's sportsrd as in registered dietitian, pro at gmail.com. Jennifer Benelli, awesome. Appreciate you so much. Thank you for coming on and uh, look forward to doing more of these. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's been fun.